All right, for today's uh, message, I'm going to do something that um, a little bit different than what I normally do. I'm going to start, I'm going to kind of go traditional style here, folks. I'm going to start by uh, a reading from Scripture, and then I'll go from there. So uh, you, can imagine, um, you can imagine a more uh, liturgical uh, service where there's incense and robes and me at a lectern, right? Okay. Uh, let me read for us and all. Um, I'm going to read from uh, Luke chapter 4. This is one of the Gospels of uh, telling the story of Jesus. And Jesus, in this story, goes in, uh, uh, into the synagogue of his hometown in Nazareth. I'm going to put on the screen here for us a recreation of uh, uh, what a temple or synagogue in, in Nazareth would have looked like in Jesus' day. And so Jesus <clears throat> went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read... And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked in a very high voice. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet... Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked through the crowd and went on his way. Hmm. Interesting, huh? So Jesus quotes something from the Hebrew prophet Isaiah. Initially, it's going great. Is that Joseph's son? What a big boy. Look at him. He's doing so great. But then everyone gets mad. And it's kind of confusing. I mean, to understand what happened and why, we actually have to look at the scripture Jesus reads from in, uh, in this passage. It's from Isaiah, as he says. It is actually Isaiah 61. So if we are looking at a Bible, we can go back and line by line compare what G- uh, Isaiah 61 with uh, Jesus' read of Isaiah 61. And I'm going to do that for us. So here we go. I'm going to put it up on the screen. On this side, we have Isaiah 61. On the other side, we have Luke 4. Let's take a look at it line by line. So we've got from Isaiah, the spirit of Yahweh is on me. That checks out, right? Yeah? 
yeah? Because Yahweh has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, yeah? Looks, yeah, it's a little, you know, maybe he's, he's, he's got a different translation, right? It's a little bit different. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. It's a little slightly different wording, but that's the same, right? Yeah, looks good, okay? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yep, looks, all is checking out. And the day of vengeance of our God. Wait, what just happened there? So everything checks out until we get to that last line about tribal vengeance of our God. Hmm, Jesus seemed to leave something out, didn't he? Isn't that peculiar? What do we make of this? So here's what many scholars make of this, I'll tell you. Seems this was a very intentional choice by Jesus. It would explain, actually, why a little moment later in what happens here, Jesus says, like, surely you will all say, do here in your hometown what you did in that other town, Capernaum. At first, I I have no idea why Jesus says surely, as if this is, like, obvious that everybody will say that. Like, why why is it obvious that everybody will say that? I'm not tracking with Jesus. But let me give you some background that our scholars point to. Capernaum, this other town where Jesus evidently had done miraculous things, was a diverse town, and it's nowhere mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. Historians believe it must have been established by the enemy Romans, rather than being an original town of ancient Israel. Its purity is suspect. And in bringing up Capernaum, and, you know, comparing it to his hometown, in his hometown, Jesus is poking at that one verse that he left out. He's poking at that verse about vengeance of our God. He's gotten everyone's attention, and now they're all expecting the kicker, right? Do, ah, so now you're going to say, you know, it's like, this is our God, your hometown, your homeboys from Nazareth. Come on, you're going to do it here, Right? Surely you are now going to exalt us and not, you know, over those less pure people who live in Capernaum, right, Jesus? But then Jesus cites a bunch of instances of ancient Israelite prophets coming to the aid of not Israelites, coming to the aid of other peoples, people from these places called Sidon and Syria. And then the people of Nazareth are so furious, they're no longer amazed. Why? Because Jesus critiqued something in his tradition. Jesus reinterpreted something from his tradition. He took the prophet Isaiah and left out the elements of tribalism, of us versus them, of retributive revenge and violence. He critiqued something from his tradition, reinterpreted it, and then He has the nerve to expand the blessing of his people to beyond just his people. And the people were furious. I wonder if that sort of response feels familiar today. I wonder if we can think about this for a minute. Fury at the idea of critiquing tradition, of reinterpreting tradition. Fury and digging in of heels on tribalism, on fear of the other, on the protection of one's own, no matter the cost. 
retribution, desire for revenge, fury, and a keeping of blessing to oneself and to one's own rather than expanding that blessing beyond one's own tribe. For Jesus, the tradition that needed to be prophetically critiqued in this way was his first century of the common era Judaism. And he critiqued it despite backlash. For us, I want to talk about two traditions today that I believe we must, in the same model of Jesus, prophetically critique, despite the backlash. I want to do this with Christianity as a tradition, and I want to do this with America as a tradition. These are two traditions that I believe we need to prophetically critique in the same model that Jesus critiques his own ancient Jewish tradition. I want to do this in the light of July 4th, last weekend. So let's talk about America. It was July 4th, okay? I want to do this in light of the mass shooting in Highland Park that hits so close to home for so many of us. And I want to do this in light of yet another damning contrast between the way a white man suspected of mass murder was arrested calmly while a black man fleeing a traffic stop was shot 60 times. And I want to say lastly, as we do this today, how much more priority I think this prophetic critique of our traditions must take in our context, even more so than Jesus' priority in his context. Because Jesus was a part of an oppressed group under the thumb of an imperial Roman power, and still he found it important to critique his own tradition as we see here in Luke 4, in addition to the critiques that he offered of the larger powers that be. But in our, in our case right now, Christianity and America, what I want to talk about today, they are both the traditions that we've inherited that require critique and the larger powers. So on Jesus's terms, Christianity and America deserve double the prophetic critique. So this is really important for us to do. And what, again, is the model that Jesus does, uh, that models for us for what to do with the traditions that we inherit? We are to fully receive all everything wonderful and good and important from them, but critique the violence, critique the vengeance, critique the justifications of such behaviors in those traditions, not pretending that, we, or that they weren't there, but calling them out, critiquing them, drawing attention to them, as we see Jesus do, and then we expand the blessing beyond our own tribe. So for today, we must call American Christianity to use its influence to critique our culture's enabling of injustice, of violence, and in particular, of gun violence. There is and will be backlash. Wonder if anybody kind of feels like any voices from their history or from their past, even like rising up right now, like, I'll bet so-and-so would say this. Or maybe there's something in you that it's like, ooh, but can we do that? Is this allowed? There's a lot of backlash that's going to come up. But Luke 4, this passage that we just read about Jesus critiquing the prophet Isaiah, reinterpreting the prophet Isaiah, cutting out the violence and the vengeance, expanding the blessing, what we just saw, it encourages us, hey, the, the Bible itself actually anticipates that backlash. We can be ready for this. We can do this. We can do the same thing in the model of Jesus. We should not lose heart or give up the fight if we experience backlash from the traditions that we are trying to critique and reinterpret and pass on better to our children and to the next generations. 
We should not lose heart. We should not give up the fight. The fulfillment inherent in following Jesus in this way, I think, it, even if we follow Jesus into losses or failures or seeing no discernible change in our lifetimes, I think that is a more valuable and meaningful by far way to live than the, quote, successful like model of just remaining uncritical of these traditions, just going about the status quo of America and Christianity. I think it is by far more meaningful to join with Jesus and prophetically critique those traditions that were handed. So let me take these two traditions one at a time, Christianity and America. If, uh, if you have questions or comments, please use Discord. I'll throw the QR code up on the screen one more time. You can uh, join in and uh, at, offer your comments or your questions. I promise that uh, before we're done here this morning, I'll check in and, and take a look and see if there are any like really great things that I want to, uh, that, I, that, that I feel like I can respond to in the moment. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to respond to those at the end. So feel free to join in on Discord. All right, let's talk about the Christian tradition. I remember um, early on in my experience of going to church regularly, being a praying person, I found myself going to uh, a church that I have a lot of love for still today uh, that was incredibly meaningful and important to my experience of life. And, uh, and, and, but nonetheless, I, I learned things about this church. Uh, as, uh, as I became older and came of age, I was, a, I was like 18, 19 years old, and I learned... Uh, as I got older and, and became less naive about um, the, the makeup of America, I learned that many people who go to churches in America are wired a little bit differently from the way that I grew up as a kid who grew up in Evanston, Illinois, one of the most liberal towns in America. And I, you know, I, I began to learn about this, the character and the teachings of Jesus, and I just saw so much like, like overlap in what I had, the things that had, that had stirred my passions as a kid and, and started to make who I was. But I learned that uh, there's there's different interpretations out there than I uh, than, uh, than 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 I grew up uh, seeing. I remember at one point walking through the church office of this church and just kind of like walking through cubicles, you know, like any office building. And I saw on uh, on the wall of one cubicle a U.S. map with uh, you know just all, all the states. And I noticed that there were it was uh, there were there were like uh, pins in certain states marking certain states. And uh, and I I realized after looking at it for a moment, I just kind of glanced at it and tried to figure out, like, what's going on there? What, what is that about? That uh, the, I'll, This will tell you how, how much longer ago this was than, uh, than today. Um, there were pins for the states that had, um, that had uh, court cases that allowed for uh, uh, same-sex civil unions. And uh, that this is no longer an issue, right? We're talking about same-sex marriage now. We're not just talking about civil unions. But back then, it was same-sex civil unions. And I realized that this map was somebody who was, like, marking the states that they, like, oh, they, they, they disliked these states. They needed to, like, in their mind, pray for these states because these states had allowed for same-sex civil unions, and that seemed like an evil to them. And I remember looking at that and realizing I felt so differently and being like, Huh? Like, my brain kind of broke. I was like, uh, okay, I'm not really sure what to think of that, but okay. And I just kind of moved on, but that was logged in my memory as like, what, uh, what, what do I do with this? What do I, and, and, and I learned, boy, did I learn as, uh, as the 2000s unfolded how important 
this was to so many people of the Christian tradition. And even now as same-sex civil unions has faded into the past, and now we're talking about same-sex marriage, and we're talking about all of the things that we as a church visited a couple of weeks ago uh, as we celebrated Pride and marked that weekend. Man, did did I have an education about what a different tradition I thought I was getting into. And I, I, I re- that what I realized, my point is, is that historically, the Bible and the tradition of Jesus have been used to do violence to the identities of sexual and gender minorities. That is in our tradition's history, unavoidably. But in the last several decades, especially the last 10 years, there has been an explosion of scholarship that seeks to reinterpret the Christian tradition and use the Bible and the teachings of Jesus as a way to affirm and enhance the lives and identities of non-heterosexual and non-gender conforming individuals. What has come with that? Backlash, right? Backlash that doubles down on the violence done in the name of the Bible and in the name of the traditions past. But again, in that very same Bible, we have Luke chapter four, which we just read, which anticipates backlash. Jesus shows us what to do in these situations. We receive the good, we critique the violence and the exclusion, and we expand the blessing further beyond our own tribe. Receive the good, critique the violence and vengeance, expand the blessing further. As a picture of hope, I, I'm, I'm thinking of an image that I learned from uh, a writer on spirituality, uh, Brian McLaren. Uh, the image that Brian offers is the church in infancy. Um, so bear with me for a second. He says this. If all of history, all of history, is squeezed into the timeline of one year, January to December, humans don't show up until mid-December. That's wild, right? Think about that, okay? So January through mid-December, no humans. (laughs) So there we show up, okay? The whole of Christianity, the whole history of Christianity uh, uh, on this is uh, the last second of the year. (laughs) How about that? The last second of the year. And his point is that what if Christianity isn't hardened in cement? You know, we... We tend to think, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard not for us. Like, we, what, we live 90 years, 100 years if we're lucky, right? We tend to think of this as like, oh, gosh, it's been around for 2,000 years, and then the, 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 the Judaism that preceded it has been around for like three or 4,000 years before that. This is hardened in cement. But what if it's not? What if Christianity's only been around for the last second of, you know, the, the, the year that is all of history, In the grand scope of histories, this is a young tradition. And traditions are living, moving things that are not nearly as rigid as we think they are. We can receive and critique and pass on our traditions stronger. And that is what has always been done. That is what is done in the Bible itself. And that is the tradition that we're encouraged to join in on when we read something like Jesus in Luke chapter four and in many other instances. So I wonder, Maybe Christianity is not hardened in cement. Maybe we can pass it on better than we received it. Now let me talk about the American tradition, which feels tough this week. So I can get behind, um, I can get behind freedom from tyranny 
Um, you know, the, that message behind the American Revolution, right? I can get behind a demand for a government built on representation of those who are, representation from those who are most affected by, by that governing, right? Like, we don't want to be ruled by some aloof, distant emperor, dictator, king somewhere else. I can totally get behind that. And I am behind that message of freedom behind the American Revolution. To a degree, I'm even behind, like, an economic structure that encourages purpose and innovation and, you know, for the sake of the whole and, you know, purpose for individuals. I, I, I'm even behind that to a degree. But here's what I cannot get behind. I, I, I cannot get behind power abuse and power hunger. I cannot get behind, you know, like, the, the, the career politician track that has become our governing structure that has swallowed up the ideals that maybe we started with. I cannot get behind unchecked capitalism that was built on the backs of slaves, that claims neutrality but really isn't. I cannot get behind exploitation and winning being our focus rather than purpose and innovation for people. I cannot get behind the demand that the common individual keep up or die so that we can prop up the, this global economy that's built on you know, keeping the rich rich and our military industrial complex funded so people can keep fighting. I can't get behind those things. And especially this week, I cannot get behind our romantic obsession with the fear-based idea that without access to guns, we wouldn't be safe. I'm not behind that, as American as it might be. The hostility and the like baseline suspicion toward others that is like that's behind that idea that without access to guns we would not be safe. Like, it's I mean, the overall lack of trust in any social fabric behind that assumption. I, I think this is what needs to be prophetically critiqued in our American tradition. This is the, the vengeance line in Isaiah that Jesus critiques. This is what it is for us. America at its best is not when we are pretending that we've done no wrong or can do no wrong, but when we do the hard work of honestly recognizing and critiquing the traditions that we've received are not perfect. Look, the founding of this country was built on slavery and violent racism. Look, that's there. Like, let's not hide from that. Let's not pretend that's not true. Let's point it out. Look, the dropping of atomic bombs is a violent stain on our history that will not go away. That's real. We did that. Our, our insistence on access to guns doesn't make the same sense in the 21st century that it did in the 18th century. And that's okay. We can acknowledge that. We can use the very tools America has provided us, like the Constitution, to critique America and pass it on as something better. Pretending we've done no wrong and that this tradition has been perfect and pure from the start gets us nowhere. And the same is true for Christianity. Christianity is at its best when we do the hard work of honestly critiquing what we've received. Look, that was exclusive. Look, that lost the way of Jesus. That prioritized winners rather than losers, oppressors rather than the oppressed. We can use the very tools Christianity has provided us, like the Bible, to critique it itself and pass on something better. And that is, when we do that, that is, that is 
beautiful. That is creative. That is respecting the tradition, not defiling it. it what is defiling a tradition is digging in our heels on violence and vengeance, right? That's what defiles a tradition. To reinterpret it, to take it and say, how can we expand the blessing? That's not defiling a tradition. That is expanding it even to, to the next, I mean, that is passing it on more loving and more like Jesus than we received it. That's a beautiful thing, not a defiling thing. It is treating one's tradition with love and respect to ask questions of it. It is treating one's tradition with love and respect to express concern, to reinterpret, to protest, to demand new paths forward, to recognize that traditions are still alive, not hardened in cement. And Jesus shows us this in Luke 4. He does it to his own tradition, and we can do the same to ours. So it, it's true that much of the onus of this kind of stuff is on the people with the most power, right? Like people in public office, higher-ranking bureaucrats in America. Um, in, for Christianity, you know, the people with the loudest publicly Christian voices, right? Um, that's, that's where the most power resides. And even if those voices are meant to represent ours, um, it can feel powerless to recognize that. It can feel like we can, we can all be like, rah, rah, you know, we're for something different. We're for critiquing and passing on this thing better, but is anything going to change? We just might kind of feel hopeless and powerless when we look at, like, how much difference can I make, we might ask ourselves. I struggle with those feelings. I'm not sure that I can say anything to, like, make those go away or, like, fix them today. Um, but... I do want to say that there is no such thing as a person who isn't situated in these kind of traditions, who doesn't have some stake in these things. Many of us are a mix of traditions, maybe America, maybe Christianity, like I'm talking about, maybe other things. Increasingly, that's, that's true for people in our individualistic culture. We can borrow from this and borrow from this and borrow from this to make up who we are. What we do have power over, because we're all a part of traditions, multiple, what we do have power over is how we choose, we choose to pass those on. Yes, we may not have the power to make changes right now, but we have the power to choose how we pass these on to kids. We have the power to choose how we pass these on to our neighbors. When we talk about our traditions, maybe they come from different ones. We have the power to pass these on to anyone who is younger than us. If we are an older adult, we have the power to pass these on to middle-aged adults. If we are middle-aged, to the younger adults. If we are younger adults, to our teenagers, teenagers, to, our, to the youngest kids. We all have the ability to choose how we pass on the traditions that we are situated in. And we may not see the impact of our efforts to pass these things on better in our lifetimes, but man, that does make a difference. And that is something that each of us can do. I cannot imagine a more important model than Jesus when we consider this. When we consider the fact that we do all have power to pass on Christianity, America, or any of the traditions that make up who we are. I cannot imagine a more important model than Jesus 
who critiques violence and vengeance and expands the blessing. A historian, John Dominic Crossan, writes that from the first chipped stone to the first smelted iron took three million years. But from the first iron weapon to the hydrogen bomb took only 3,000 years. From the first chipped stone to the first smelted iron took three million years. From the first smelted iron to the hydrogen bomb took 3,000. This is important. Violence will continue to escalate. The 20th century was not the least violent century in history. It was the most violent century in history. I cannot imagine a more important model than Jesus who takes the traditions he inherits and critiques the violence and vengeance and expands the blessing. It's so important. If we're not critiquing violence and exploitation and vengeance in our traditions, I just don't think we're in the tradition of Jesus at all. So we talk, we're, we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about America. I'm, 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 I'm pushing hard. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit unflinching today. Um, but what are the other traditions that make up who you are? Because it's not just those two. Those are, those are, the, those are two dominant traditions. So those have, a, have tentacles in all of us just by virtue of being here. We can, we can live in America for a year and America affects us. <laughs> but what are the other traditions that make up who you are? And how can you receive the good, critique the violence and vengeance in them, the tribalism in them, and pass them on greater and more loving than you received them? Because on a historical scale, there's not really a more important job right now for us to stop this story of escalatory violence. And I think that people who are trying to learn from and follow Jesus are as as well situated as any in our world to lead that. And so that's what I want us to sit in this week after July 4th, after yet another mass shooting, after yet another clear example of our racist reality. Um, I want us to sit in that. Let me take a moment in real time here just to kind of like go over our chat. If you've been participating that way, I do want to see if there's any um, comments or questions that feel really important to um, bring in here. Mm, yes, I like this. Uh, um, there, a wonderful comment from Brad F. in Discord. Um, uh, Brad is a teacher and, uh, and says that I used to teach uh, my uh, communication students that comparing um, the Sermon on the Mount to reality opens the space for critique within Christianity. So Sermon on the Mount is another great example of Jesus doing exactly what we talked about in Luke 4, which is taking his tradition and critiquing it and expanding the blessing of it. The famous phrase in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus repeats over and over is, you have heard it said, but I say. There we go. How much more clearly can we see within the Bible itself Jesus taking his tradition, receiving it, receiving it for all its good, but 
like he, he's critiquing it. He is reinterpreting it. He is not leaving it untouched. He is trying to pass it on better than he received it. So that's a, that's a, great, that's a great example. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I, I appreciate a comment here from uh, Melissa in Discord that uh, Jesus calls us to love and pursue justice above all. Contrasted with uh, modern Christian tradition, it is something that pushed me away from organized religion for the majority of my life. I just think that that, like, sometimes maybe we get lost in the weeds. Like, just step back and take a look at, like, what ends up happening in Christian churches so often is exclusion, not inclusion. And, and it, it's almost like you don't, we, we don't need to try so hard to see. And that hurt, we need to pay attention to. If we're just turning a blind eye to that in the name of preserving tradition, again, we are not in the model of Jesus. That seems to be the kind of thing that Jesus critiqued. I appreciate everybody joining in the chat. I'm sure there's a lot more here, and um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll look forward to a chance later this week to go back over our chat and see if there's anything more that can be said as uh, the, the week ahead or as we look, look forward to next week. In this place, I've, I've left us in, in sort of a, I hopefully resolved, but a, a, a sober place this morning. Um, so can I pray for us in that place? I think it's okay for us to feel sober this week. Um, let me pray, and, uh, and, then, and then we can, we can move forward um, with our week. Let me pray. God, this does feel like... It, it does feel like this is... This is about the most important stuff that can be discussed and talked about. And I am choosing to the best of my ability in this space to believe that those who follow you, Jesus, are well-situated to be helpful. And we want to do that, even as we might feel hopeless or powerless or voiceless in the grand scheme of things. Bring us back to this idea that Christianity and America, these traditions are not hardened in cement, and we do have the power, each of us, to pass it on better than we received it. We can critique the things of violence and tribalism and exploitation in them. We can expand their blessing by our own activities and by our own interacting with our world around us. And when we talk about it, when we narrate, like, why on earth do you go to church? <laughs> we can talk about this in a way that expands the blessing. God, guide us into what that uh, how that plays out for each of us. We are each in our own spheres of influence with our own circles of relationships. We are each connected to different parts of these traditions that we've talked about today. We each have those other traditions and sub-traditions that make up who we are. And maybe there's really important critique that we need to do in those. Today, we're just talking about the dominant ones. Would this project of 
receiving and critiquing and passing on more loving our traditions be something that we experience as relationship with you, God. That when we do that, we are in the company of Jesus. We can feel you next to us, God. We're not, we're not alone in doing that. It's not, it doesn't have to be uh, a, a, a dour or like, like uh, self-effacing uh, project. It can be something that leaves us feeling connected with the God of the universe. It can be something that leaves us feeling loved ourselves as we seek to try to make what we're passing on more loving. I pray that we would feel that. We would truly feel more loved as individuals as we try to pass on these things that we are caught up and a part of. I pray for anyone in particular who has been hurt by the traditions of America and the traditions of Christianity that you in this space right now would experience healing by God's spirit. Your hurt was seen by Jesus. Your hurt is why Jesus critiqued his own tradition and why the the path before us is to critique ours. And the God Jesus shows us is not removed from the hurt that you felt when you were cast off or excluded or whatever the hurt was. The, the hurt that you felt is not distant from or foreign to this God. This God knows what it's like and stands with you in solidarity. And that's the God that we follow. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.